Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with the writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ex Libris Radio today. I'm Clint Yates. So glad that you could join us today. Got an interesting book for us to talk about today. This you could find on the cover from our author. He says, this book is essentially a statement about our present state of affairs as seen through the eyes of a common middle class citizen. He writes, I hope if nothing else is conveyed in this work, it is this. Our founding fathers fought with their lives to ensure this country was chartered as a democratic, free society run by the people and for the people. They even gave we the people the inalienable right to change the course of government if it ever ceased to represent the values, ideals, and freedoms born to all Americans individually. Those words on the cover of the book, I vote and I hate politicians. What's right with America? And the author, John B. Good, joins us today on the Ex Libris line. John, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Certainly a hot topic today. I think more than anything, John, we as a society, or at least some people, uh, really are kind of follow that same title of your book, I Vote, But I Hate Politicians. Just tell us about the title. Where did that all come from, and where did this idea come from? Well, um, I've followed politics um, probably for the last 30 years, and being from what some people consider to be the the uh, hippie generation, um, we're kind of um, engraved in stone of being the generation that fought for our rights. We we, we didn't accept this, what our politi- political leaders said, hey, this is what you need to do uh, if you want to be part of society. And my generation kept saying, well, that's that's contrary to our core beliefs and values, what you're saying. And so we uh, we said uh, that uh, you have to you have to build a better case for what you're advocating before our generation is going to buy into what you're selling. So uh, with that in mind, and I and what comes first thing that comes to mind is um, during the Vietnam era where our government advocated to its citizenry, the the young young people of my age at that time that we needed to get out there and eradicate communism before it took control and came to our shores. And um, being uh, young people that uh, didn't really know what that meant and didn't really even want to um, pursue it any further because it, it, was just, it was just alien to our, what we were thinking, what is communism? What is, we haven't seen it on our shores yet, or at least we don't know about it. Why is the government telling us we have to go and eradicate that and kill innocent people and, uh, and that sort of thing? It just said, uh, no, we're not buying that. And so uh, the government realized after a while that, yeah, my generation wasn't buying that. We didn't want any part of it. So they had to uh, start the draft system. They had to get people in there to fight because the, the, the cell job they were doing, well, we weren't buying it. So... Um, coming from that uh, background and seeing today when government says this is what you have to do to 
to coexist in a society of equals. Um, um, I, I'm disheartened when I see our current generation say, oh, well, I, you know, you're the authority. You must know what you're talking about. And they either, <clears throat> they either just uh, tune out and say, well, that's fine. Do what you need to do. Or they um, ignore it. They just they don't, they don't accept uh, uh, it. They become apathetic from what I feel to what's going on in the world today. And so... Uh, re- rather than realizing, as our generation did, that we're we're uh, we're a part of the solution. We're not uh, we're not uh, um, just subservient to what our our political leaders say. That we have to be, become part of the solution if the if the problem is something that uh, contradicts our core beliefs. Why do you think, John? We why do you think we've come to that point where we've come from? your generation to where we are today, where there is that apathy or that status quo, or maybe even that there's nothing I can do about it. So let's just go with it kind of attitude. How, how have we evolved to that? Do you think? Well, I think it's, um, it's our whole, uh, uh, social, um, and moral attitudes that have been changed, um, where people and I, and I don't want to, you know, um, Put the blame game because I'm, I'm this is much a blame as anyone else's. People, if they don't take personal responsibility for what's going on and what's happening to them, um, then they can't really, uh, they can't really, with with a clear conscience, get into the blame game saying it has to be someone else's fault. You can't, you really can't say that because we're all, we're all part of the problem as much as we are part of the solution. And so, um, just like when my generation said, uh, no, we're not buying into what you're selling, government, um, today people either they feel too uh, helpless to, to stand up for what they feel is right, or they just feel like, uh, um, you know, the powers to be uh, are making the decisions and they really have no say in it, so why should they even... Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, try to say anything against that so it's uh I, I look at that and i just become so disheartened because i know that if people joined together and said um it's it's just not making any sense what you're saying you know we have to follow a certain religious view or we have to um we all have to um not allow people of color to do this or we have to it, it, it's coming from an individual's viewpoint, and it's not the it's not the majority view. So, it's just it's a very simple analysis that anybody can make, saying, "Well, this isn't my belief. Why should I uh, fall into line and say we all have to adapt to a, a common belief system if we're going to coexist together?" So it's just that I, I I really think that people need to become aware of the fact that we can't be led by sound bites. We can't be led by what someone else's is truly their opinion of what's right or wrong, because uh, there is there is no uh, dividing line of what's right and wrong. What's right and wrong is what's in your what you're brought up to believe in and your core values. And if those are contradicted by anything that someone else says, especially an authority, then we need to fight back. We need to say no more. This isn't what. This isn't what this country was founded upon. 
So, Again, the name of the book that we're talking about uh, today is I Vote and I Hate Politicians. The author is John B. Good, and he's with us today on the Ex Libris line. John, you describe yourself uh, in some of your material as just a regular middle-class guy. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you, you came about. I know this is your very first book. Right. It is, and I like I've, I've said to other people that have asked, um, I have no uh, no uh, notoriety. I'm not uh, known in the in the public eye. I'm just a guy that has grown up in a, in a period of history where um, I took advantage of all the opportunities afforded me, and um, I did a lot of things my way because I wanted to see what was behind the facade of life. Everything that isn't put in front of us is a barrier and. Most people don't have the energy or the where for all to say, I want to know what's behind that. I want to see what's going on, and that requires uh, an, an extra effort to research something or see what's going on. So I did that in my life. I said, well, um, I want to learn how to sail. So I said, well, I'll just get out there, get a sailboat, and go out in the water and see what happens. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I, I lived to tell the story another day, <laughs> fortunately, but... Uh, um, and I started my own company at the uh, age of 20, and uh, it was successful for a period of 25 years past that. I uh, built my own home because I wanted to know what was behind some of the building trades, and the only way I was going to do that was to experience uh, hands-on what it took to, to build a home. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just wish more people would say, you know, we're only on this planet for a short period of time. It's a one-way trip for all of us. We don't have another opportunity to come back. So take advantage of everything you can on this planet. And um, I can attest to the fact that because I did that, my uh, I, I've, I've come to an age of enlightenment, not to use an over-commonly used phrase, but I know now what's behind a lot of things that are out there. And I just really... Uh, I become disenfranchised when I see that, especially the younger generation, just accepts things for the way they are, and they just say, well, okay, I, I guess you know what you're talking about, and I don't have the time or the energy to see if there's anything else behind that. So um, it really, it, it, the experiences I've had in life has really uh, made me feel like uh, I've lived life to the fullest already, and I'm only, uh, you know, 65 years old, so I hope I've got a little more time. But, by gosh, uh, if I hadn't have explored uh, everything on my own and seen what was going on behind every the facade out there, I wouldn't have been able to say, oh, yeah, I know what that's about. I know what's really going on here when people say something that they have no uh, factual basis behind it. So, so- I, I that's just it. I'm just uh, I'm just a regular guy, but I, <laughs> I took advantage of the opportunities that were available to me that are not there today. So we pigeonhole ourselves sometimes into categories, and I don't want to do that to you here, but is this a book that appeals to people with conservative thinking or with liberal thinking, or I, is, there a, is there a target audience here that this is particularly going to appeal to, or who did you write this book for? I wrote the book for all mankind it's it's not uh you know it 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 targets certain political affiliations because unfortunately uh through 
politics uh, were, were being guided as a, as a society on what the true belief system is, and that's, that's so falsely portrayed um, because um, you, you can't say that this is what, the, what life is all about uh, simply by following uh, a set of guidelines that are one, personal person, one, one person's belief system. It's not, it's not universal. So, um, unfortunately, the conservative party uh, does try to inflict uh, uh, a certain belief, and the more liberal party tries to counter that by saying, well, that's not really true. And so then what it does is it puts up a barrier that it pits common people against each other. And you know what? Our neighbor is not the enemy here. We, we all, uh, we're all uh, in, this, uh, in this thing together. And we have to just come to the realization that uh, the only people that really know what's best for you is yourself. You know, you, you're the only one that can say, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I want to believe this way or I want to think this way. You can't have somebody telling you that there is a right or wrong way to do that. And that's what's so disconcerting to me to have uh, our politicians say, this is the way you, you need to think. And it's like, uh, well, that's not true. <laughs> that's so contra- contradictory to what uh, life is all about and what human beings were put on this earth to do is to explore and to formulate what their meaning of life is to themselves, not what somebody else thinks it should be. And then I came up with a couple of solutions in the book to try to get started. Um, and so one of the main ones is just uh, let's Let's get uh, a petition going and, and say that w- the people are not happy with the way our leaders in Washington are, are making decisions on our behalf today. So, again, the books at Amazon are at, uh, you can find it at Ex Libris. Do you have a website or anything going yet? I do have a website that's uh, a personal website uh, that's uh, more on the subject matter of what I feel is wrong with the country. If anyone's interested, it's mm-hmm. called Call. Uh, hyphen lawmakers hyphen out dot com call lawmakers out dot com okay. terrific well again the name of the book i vote and i hate politicians by john b good john we just have a few seconds left here as we wrap up what is it if someone gets a copy of your book what is it you hope uh, in a sentence or two that you hope that they'll walk away from once they read your book well um i would just like to say that they see there that what was possible for me could be possible for every human being, every person, if they just take responsibility for what uh, their own actions are and what uh, the the, the changes they can make if they simply want to. All right, John, thanks for being with us one more time. The book is I Vote and I Hate Politicians. The author is John B. Good. The book is published through Ex Libris. John, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for your time. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. 
Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live La Bella Vita. For more on the show and your host, check out our website, labellavitacosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Resist Not Evil. I think I'd put a question mark behind that, but there's not one on the title. It just says Resist Not Evil. And our author who is joining us from near New York City is Robert Charles Anthony Vaca. Sir, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, uh, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here speaking about what uh, rings everybody's bells. Well, you've got 761 pages now. Being an author is not your primary vocation or pursuit. I understand you have uh, a connection to the sports world. Is that uh, accurate, or am I I confused about that? Uh, Not at all. Uh, Playing was my first love, uh, baseball and basketball. My dad introduced me to the game of basketball baseball as a youngster, and I had a great high school uh, coach for basketball. Ultimately, I uh, played in college at uh, Seton Hall University uh, and transferred over to Quinnipiac in uh, Hamden, uh, Connecticut. I was uh, selected in the NBA draft by the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, uh, an injury um, you know, ended my career and I ventured off into coaching basketball in high school, and that's what I'm doing now. In fact, we have a playoff game uh, tonight at East Hampton High School, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, having faith in the young men that, uh, that some of their dreams will come true as well. Phenomenal. Now, in addition to being a coach and all of the other activities you're involved in, you decided, I'm going to be an author and uh, pen a novel. This is 761 pages. That's ambitious. Uh, Robert, how long did it take to do, and what is the uh, genesis of, or the, the uh, underlying theme of Resist Not Evil? Well, I used to be somewhat um, hesitant to say 23 years, but 23 years is how long it took. It is... Uh, a novel that kept uh, expanding um, uh, at pr- pretty much as uh, my life uh, has, and I allowed uh, uh, the spirit uh, to move me and allowed the uh, um, spontaneity to uh, make it real by not being tied to any uh, particular outline. And uh, so I would say probably... Um, more recently, the law of attraction, and um, uh, previously, the statement of Jesus in the New Testament, resist not evil, as well as turn the other cheek and uh, pick up thy sword and love thy enemies. I felt that there was a connection between what has been discovered regarding the law of attraction in quantum physics, so now we're venturing from faith uh, with regard to religion and science, and I've kind of uh, melded 
uh, the two, so I call this a resist not evil is a law of attraction, a love story with a basketball motif, a metaphysical test, and a revolutionary uh, approach to war and peace. And it uh, graphically illustrates that what we think about, we bring about. So, therefore, we are uh, in control of our own destiny and we create our own reality rather than feeding into the appearance of uh, being uh, victims. So I think that that is the major message of the story is empowerment um, and also um, we wanted to make that entertaining so rather than go into the metaphysical bookstore for all the juice we had to combine it with uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and make that really uh, almost uh, one of a kind. You mentioned in your uh, introduction to your book or in a descriptive of your book that there are some, oh, shall I call them, sexual contents. Is this something that would appeal to, well, I know it would appeal to young guys, but uh, would this appeal to a broad audience or is this a little bit of an older read? Well, that is really, uh, Jay, a very... Good question. Probably, I wouldn't say it's loaded. It's just uh, everyone is so uh, different uh, with our uh, uh, background, our uh, beliefs, but we're not different in that there's any exceptions to uh, how we were all born. So we were born out of uh, sexuality, and, um, you know, I think it's important to recognize that this particular author had no intention of going into any kind of um, detail with regard to sexuality because, you know, I have my identity crisis like anyone else's uh-huh. to what is my own piece regarding such uh, a dynamic uh, subject. Um, so I think the important thing is that it somehow came out in good taste um, that... Um, I would refer to it as source energy sexuality. I would recall it, uh, call it also tantric lovemaking. I would refer to it as lovemaking without conditions and without limits, and that um, the central characters are um, involved intimately as an integral part of the theme and the love story. So we're all... Um, their relationship is moving the reader and the world, hopefully, um, to a, a better feeling place and a more empowered place, and it's therefore um, uh, very um, naturally uh, flowing. And the one thing that I neglected to mention earlier is the timeline of this amazing story uh, is from the Vietnam War, specifically 1970, right up to the present day, and then uh, open-ended into the uh, future. And it involves uh, current events um, at this particular time when it comes into the present and the future, and it involves um, some well-known people, which was also unexpected. So when these inspirations came, I had to allow um, the expansion of the book and hence the... um, amount of time it took to uh, write it. But I don't think that anyone would be offended by the sexual um, content, except maybe for those 
who have often been referred to, including myself, is somewhat uh, uptight or fearful of, you know, what exactly is um, the peace uh, that I can find within uh, such a dynamic uh, subject, the balance, so to speak. And I think the balance is uh, comes out of these scenes as they interconnect with the rest of the story. So thank you for asking such a difficult question. It is a difficult answer. question, yes. But, you know, it's it's not uh, the focal point of your of your message or of your book. 761 pages, there's action, there's love, there's all types of, uh, of things happening from 1970 to the current time. In fact, you have sort of broken this down into several parts. Part one is the rage, the fire that burns within. Part two is pain, fuel that, strokes, uh, that stokes the flame. Uh, three is redemption. Choose whom you will serve. And then you've got one, uh, empowerment, God's great law of attraction, trans, uh, transcendence, uh, Easter is God's last word, epilogue. So you have broken this down. So although it's 761 pages, someone could uh, digest it in l- smaller chunks. Would that be a, a, a right uh, evaluation of your book? Yes, also um, very good, uh, Jay, exactly uh, so. Also, you know, it's a spiritual pilgrimage. It's a journey that everyone is on, either um, uh, consciously or subconsciously. So it describes uh, the stages of my own particular um, journey, and uh, lots of those, um, you know, periods could only be seen clearly in the aftermath looking back, and then there's phenomenal appreciation for how uh, these um, events, uh, together with transformation, uh, you know, connects. Um, whereas in the midst of uh, drama um, that doesn't feel good, uh, sometimes that is not really seen until the dust clears, because uh, at least personally, I was not always uh, calm enough to have what you would call unshakable faith, that all is well no matter what uh, the appearance is and that the Lord or God or truth or the universe or whatever anyone is comfortable with and whatever an atheist would be comfortable with is, you know, um, beyond my own um, human power, something smarter than me has my back. Uh, and that, therefore... Um, was always pushing me beyond where I thought the book was going to end, so that uh, ultimately, when I was after part four, about ready to sign off uh, on the galleys, that this is ready to go, uh, I'm led into, uh, on Easter Sunday, I'm led into an Episcopal uh, church to just um, celebrate, um, you know, the resurrection of Jesus and what that symbolizes, and the uh, amazing as it may sound, you actually had to be there as the author, but the pastor James Cook, uh, at this Episcopal um, sermon, uh, started uh, going deep into the problems of the soul with a lot of compassion and charisma, and he started touching upon points in the book, which obviously he never read because we didn't know each other, hmm. uh, until I asked to see him um, the next day, and and he gave me permission to use the dynamic uh, uh, sermon in the book, which led to part five, Easter is God's Last Word. So that is kind of the 
metamorphosis of the story that there would be events unpredictable that would be catalysts and uh, and therefore it was very um, you know perceptive of you to make a point of uh, the five parts and what they represent as far as the stages of uh, a person's journey to what you might say liberation you've mentioned many well-known names in the book and have included them in, I'm assuming the right way to describe that would be in fictitious conversations or, or reflections. Is that the right way to describe all of these well-known people that will pop up? Well, it's in the author's note. The best way I can describe that, Jay, is once again, this was not uh, premeditated, but, you know, the evidence of whether or not it's, uh, you know, from divine inspiration or from my own, you know, uh, puny human perspective is, well, ultimately there's either going to be evidence on the page, you know, uh, or there's not. And so uh, when the evidence was undeniable, I had to go with the flow of that. So um, there are instances where, whether it's Oprah Winfrey speaking or Sharon Stone or John Bon Jovi or Al Green or... R. Kelly, because music is also a big uh, part of this uh, story throughout, that I've done, of course, uh, prolific research uh, for every aspect of this story. And when it came to these, you know, if I were not really inspired by the lives of these uh, people, then I would not have included them. But because they made a difference, make a difference in my life, there were instances when... Um, what they said in, a, in another context uh, was absolutely applicable and perfect for the scene and the dynamic uh, involved in the story. And there were other times where because I have captured the essence uh, of the personality is one thing, but to capture the essence of a person's soul to the best of one's ability because you actually feel and empathize with what they're going through as they explain it, then it became more like, what would Oprah say in this situation? What would Sharon Stone say? You know, what would Bon Jovi say? And therefore, I, I, I explain that in the author's note, that in some cases, um, the uh, dialogue of the celebrities um, is the... Um, authors and not their own and 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 i think that that's fair absolutely and one thing that i do like about your books because i i do interview a lot of authors i think over a thousand maybe 1200 so far some of the books just have you know off uh, have uh, chapter numbers like one two three four five yours actually has names associated with your chapters so i can look through there and get an idea of or not an idea but a, a, an imp impression of what you might be talking about you talk about things like uh, one thing that caught my attention five friars laughing now i'm curious about what that's all about you talk about uh other things like uh, love letters to a lost planet i love that title what is the essence of your book what is the underlying theme that you wanted to to get across well those are specific chapter titles and please don't let me forget uh chapter title one which is very interesting how that um materialized after you know part five easter is god's last word kind of precipitates itself 
then it changes everything in the story. So I had to go back to chapter one, since I'm mentioning that now. Sure. Uh, it was titled The Big Show because it is, you know, basketball related and don't want to give away the dynamics of that. And I changed it to uh, building a bridge back to the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and now that oh, whole chapter uh, changed uh, because now I actually at least knew the future of the story. And, uh, and there became, let's say, an extra couple of pages uh, to that chapter, which connects it to the future of the story and what happens at the uh, end of the story. So I think that that is apropos. And uh, Five Friars Laughing is just simply a basketball uh, chapter primarily at Providence College. Uh, and they are known as the Friars, and these you know, five ball players, um, they break out of a huddle at a very intense, dramatic moment. Uh, and one of the, one of the central characters tells a joke in the huddle, uh, that nobody is supposed to know about. Uh, and they never do, just these five. And it's Al McGuire, uh, a former, uh, basketball coach and commentator. Uh, he's depicted as I would really love to know what was uh, said in that huddle because, you know, this is what it's all about, you know, playing fast and loose, baby, because, uh, you know, it's not life and death, it's just basketball. And so um, there, it's very curious when these five friars break out of their huddle uh, and they're laughing at the uh, at Joe just, you know, before crunch time, right. uh, when crunch time, in the midst of uh, crunch time. And... Um, the love letters to a lost planet. You know, everything is based uh, in this story is based on my own personal experience. So, if there is such a thing as an autobiographical novel, that would be uh, appropriately describing this story. And and uh, and that particular letter that is broken down in love letters to a lost planet. I mean, it actually happened to me uh, verbatim. Um, when uh, I'd say it was 1981 and I was having a spiritual crisis and I'm riding down the highway of 95 in Florida and I'm pounding the steering wheel because I want an answer to this thing that is just confusing me and I feel as though I'm passionate enough to get an answer and dedicated and I had an illumination and therefore uh, when it said get up and write, you know, go home and write, uh, I grabbed a, a notebook and a pen at Walgreens. I started writing, and there were eight letters. Back then it was called uh, Silver Linings, and I just left it alone, not knowing what to do with it. Lo and behold, uh, when I started writing a novel, um, it came back as the, the eighth letter in what I actually wrote, and it was just perfect, um, um, complementing everything else that had been built up, because this was the very uh, close to the last chapter in part uh, four. And then the other thing that you mentioned also as you uh, questioned uh, curiously about those chapter titles, uh, Jay, is, you know, what is the story about? Well, I gave the, uh, you know, the thumbnail uh, sketch. I think I gave it all, really, as far as the, um, the details of the storyline, but the hope is that um, for those who connect uh, with uh, the story, who are drawn in, you know, by the drama, who are drawn in uh, by the search, 
when we start, and, and law of attraction is infused. Those who are either confused or upset or curious about what does resist not evil mean, you know, by the time those who are inspired to get to the end of the story um, have meditated on everything that happens and the interrelationship of it and how the law of attraction is broken down, the hope is that they will have epiphany at uh, the end of the story where they'll have a lot of question marks coming through, but we're hoping, I'm hoping that the entertainment value and the love story value, it's also the interracial, uh, um, you know, aspects, there's just nothing that interests people virtually uh, in the core of where we live that is not um, a part of this um, story. So ultimately, if somebody can grasp the essence of this story enough to realize that we, each of us, are in control of our own uh, destiny by what we think and what that attracts to us, that we do create our own reality and then we start repatterning our thinking, uh, then we start to take control a little bit more over what shows up in our lives and not feel so uh, victimized that uh, everything outside of our control is, um, you know, making our life a living hell, and hopefully that will bring some hope into a lot of people's lives who previously uh, felt or feel hopeless. That is what's been happening to me, because I was once feeling hopeless, and therefore I know it can happen to anybody who knows the truth. Multi-textured writing, multi-textured story. The title, again, is Resist Not Evil. Our author, Robert Charles Anthony Vaca. Robert, where do we get copies of your book, sir? The book is published by Ex Libris, capital X-L-I-B, as in Bob, R-I-S, Ex Libris. That's a division of uh, Random House, so you can go on the Ex Libris um, uh, website. It is not uh, presently on the shelves of, of bookstores, but it, uh, with the title and the author's name, uh, if anybody goes into a bookstore uh, to the order desk and gives the name of the book and the name of the author, uh, I am told by Ex Libris that that book can be ordered in that way. Also, uh, you can get a signed copy through the author, uh, through the author's website. Um, that would be Resist Not Evil, and the last name is Vaca, so you just put those together with Resist not evil vodka dot com and, and that will um, give access to my website and there'll be uh, the way to order the book um, and the details uh, through me and I would uh, send a signed copy in that way exceptional that? and the correct spelling of vodka is v a c c a for those of you who might have spelling be spelling challenged uh, thank you Robert for joining me today and sharing your story. Well, Jay, I just really thank you for uh, your very provocative uh, questions, your uh, interests. You're a real pro, and I thank you uh, once again for uh, everything that you have brought to this interview. Honored to visit with you for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages.
Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Sitting in the Flames, Uncovering Fearlessness to Help Others. And our author who joins me from the Phoenix, Arizona area in the United States, Dr. John Edwin DeVore. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Yeah, nice to be with you, Jay. Pleasure. It'll be a pleasure. I hope we'll have a good conversation. I'm sure we will. You have, have written a book of 255 pages or so. What was the uh, the purpose of writing your book? What was the story about? You know, that, that story uh, actually was started uh, when I was a student. That would have been in 2002 at uh, Naropa University. I happened to be there studying the five wisdom traditions along with meditation. And the particular class that I was taking at the time was uh, was called Spiritual Models of Social Action. And the instructor in this particular case was Dr. Judas Simmer-Brown, who uh, actually wrote the foreword of the, uh, of the book, Sitting in the Flames. But anyway, in that class, we were studying Mahatma Gandhi, uh, Sulak Sivaraska, who is a Thai social activist. Uh, we were studying Martin Luther King Jr. And then last but not least, we were studying uh, about a Vietnamese uh, monk by the name of Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh and his partner, Chen Kung, were very active in Vietnam during the war. As a matter of fact, Thich Nhat Hanh had, uh, been, actually was exiled from uh, Vietnam for four, over 40 years. But anyway, one day in, Judith brought a book to class, put it on her desk, looked at me and said, John, you need to read that book. That book that, uh, had been written by Chris Hedges. Chris Hedges was a uh, a journalist for the New York Times and also an adjunct uh, professor over at Princeton University. And the title of that book was War is a Force that Gives Us Meaning. Hmm. And that book then stimulated the uh, the interest in going back and visiting my two years of combat during the Vietnam War. And as a result of that, uh, the book was sparked. The The first spark, obviously, was an ego uh, bang. Correct. Uh, number two, the... Um, the more I wrote about my experiences in Vietnam, the more I recognized how therapeutic it was for me as a person uh, 
And then ultimately, um, you know, the book was written to help other people because the inspiration um, I really felt could be helpful to others. You know, just by going back and living and being with their chaos and their trauma. Because I think there's a lot of power and energy there if you transform that energy that's contained in those negative emotional uh, and mental Incidents. Yes, and and, and, you're, and you're not a anyway. you're not a no, uh, you're not a I was going to say not a novel to novelist uh, being a novelist. You have written other books as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I have one other book. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jay, that was just published uh, by Ex Libris. In this case, it's called Golfer's Palette. Totally different uh, perspective. Really, totally different. But if you look at it, the central theme that wanders through it is the same. You need the bridge the body uh, and the mind, and you do that through the breath, and that's where the power of meditation has come from for me. The uh, title of your book, Sitting in the Flames, what is the significance of the title? Okay, the the title really is talking about sitting with our own personal Vietnam Wars, and Mm. that's it. It's really about just sitting in our own emotional trauma. Because there are a lot of messages there that can uh, be very fruitful to an improved quality of life. As you were reflecting on your tour of duty and other aspects of your book, how long did it take and were there some complexities in dealing with those issues? Help me a little bit more, Jay, in being well, more specific. Well, I guess specifically, were there challenges in, in going back to that time, that visit to Vietnam and your tour of duty there? And if so, how did you overcome them, and what is the significance of that that aspect of your book? Okay, that's a great question. There were It was a traumatic experience at times, because when we go back, at least from my perspective, when I had to go back and sit, and uh, and just face the trauma of babies crying in the bottom of the well and people getting shot. It, it became emotionally very trying. And through guided meditation, Judith uh, was able to help me go back and actually, the way she'd explain it was, now, John, just go down in the basement of your house and dig that stuff up and just be with it, sit with it, experience it, reflect on it, write about it, and then just go sit with it, and out of that comes a significant amount of of energy, and there is freedom, um, you know, that comes out of just being able to sit, at least from my perspective, with my own emotional uh, pain and trauma and thoughts. And how long did it take you, John, to do this process of writing the book? It it took me about five years. Five years. uh, To finish it, from the time that I started and uh, in writing this, who did you think this book would benefit? What was your purpose there? Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, uh, not only while I was at Naropa, but after the fact, the target for that book specifically was returning veterans. You know, I think our tendency in this, particularly in our culture, is to just bring our soldiers back and expect them to be able to integrate back into our culture. That doesn't really happen. Um, So it was targeted at returning veterans. And then the other particular, the important uh, target, from my perspective, is the families 
of those veterans. I've had people come up to me and make a comment, John, I really thank you for writing that book because for the first time in my life I'm able to talk to Grandpa or I've reacquainted or reconnected with my dad, you know, or I reconnected with my brother. So uh, the target market is returning veterans like the Iraq veterans we have coming back now, the people from Afghanistan. Um, So veterans and their families. You have have written also or, or included declarations of the like the pledge of allegiance uh, basic meditation instructions war and moral values syllabus you've also included something called the seville statement on violence what does that entail uh, this the seville uh, statement on violence is merely a as i recall a proclamation of the united nations that will do anything that we can to maintain peace peace not only in respective countries, but throughout the globe. So it's just it's just the way, and the only way we can have that peace is for each of us to take that one step at a time and find comfort and peace within our own selves. And through that, uh, we touch others who can also enjoy the fruits of just a peaceful life. Would you call your book a journey of self-discovery in addition to one that you wanted to put together to help others? Most definitely. Uh, you know, this the self-awareness uh, path has been something that I've been on for, like, over, well, it's coming close to 40 years now. And, and I think self-awareness is where we are, because through self-awareness is when we, we spark and unleash our own personal creativity to create the type of life that we intended to be. What is the one message, in addition to the general messages that you have outlined in your book that you want or you think comes through in your story that there is freedom you know even even though we may experience whatever that emotional trauma happens to be there is a sense of peace there and uh, as we create the life that we intend it to be uh, not only a sense of uh, there's a peace of mind there um, and under that peace of mind, we find a sense of compassion that helps us lead a more purposeful uh, life. Uh, not only uh, purposeful, but in our connections with other people, you know, they come out of a foundation of compassion. In your writing style, would you describe it as instructive, or, or would you call it narrative in your approach? Um. You know, it, it's it's not only constructive, it is narrative, but I would characterize my style as more of coaching. In other words, my my whole style has been, not only my writing, but in just the way I live my life, is to try to understand where people would like to be and then be a facilitator or an enabler to help people get where they would like to be. Would that be the way you would describe this to someone if they were to meet you on the street or in some public setting and find out that you have authored this book? That, that's exactly right. In other words, what it would be is if, if you'd like to have some some personal freedom and experience what I call 100% responsibility, that life happens because of us and not to us, you know, the book will be helpful for you to help realize that goal of just having some freedom in your own life and some own 
peace of mind, which I think is fundamental to the whole concept of happiness. Absolutely. Have you been able to get any response from readers of your book to this point? You know, I've had a lot of significant response. I've had, uh, obviously, there have been some some comments that they had wished that I had developed some of the characters in greater detail. But on the other hand, uh, the response that I've had has been, you know, it, it's comforting. As a matter of fact, it's humbling. I'm glad I made the commitment to actually write the book. When I have a daughter come up to me and said, you know, I actually was able to pick up the phone and call Dad the other day, and we talked about his war experiences, and that's mm. something that he has never done in my whole life, and here I am, 51 years old. So uh, I, I've had some very humbling feedback. I've had people talk to me and tell me that, you know, I picked the book up, and I just couldn't put it down. But on the other hand, I've had people say, you know, I really had to put that book down and think about what you really have encouraged me to think about uh, and what you said in your book. Congratulations on completing this and sharing it with the world. The title again is Sitting in the Flames, Uncovering Fearlessness to Help Others. Our author, Dr. John Edwin DeVore. Dr. DeVore, where do we get copies of your book? Uh, You can get copies of the book. You can go to the website, which is www.johnedwindevore.com. The other places you can get it are Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at Ex Libris. It's also uh, available through Kalahari and Exclusives. Devora is spelled D-E-V-O-R-E for those of you who want to do a search online or want to request this from your local bookseller. Dr. DeVore, thank you for sharing your story and for sharing your story in print, Sitting in the Flames, Uncovering Fearlessness to Help Others. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Yeah, Jay, thank you for your time. I enjoyed our conversation. Have a great day. Thank you, sir. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.